essential calculus of the Garden of Eden is do this and you will live. So the Bible, in one sense, is all, I mean, the story of the Bible is all about God establishing covenant. You're listening to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church. If you're looking for NPR's podcast on First Amendment issues, we're not them. But before you turn us off, let me welcome you to stay and give us a listen. You never know, there might be a reason that this podcast has slipped into your playlist. And as different as they may seem, theological interpretation and constitutional interpretation may not be all that different. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Press. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time giving us a listen, we want to welcome you. We appreciate you taking the time to check us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstpreskolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstpreskolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice, and every Monday a new episode will be waiting for you. Also, while you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. In this episode, we continue our look at the Westminster Confession of Faith with part one of God's covenant with man. We discuss good and better definitions for a covenant, what it means that God condescends to us, what is meant by the covenant of works, and whether or not God changed his mind when we moved from the covenant of works to the covenant of grace. Thanks for being with us. Now, let's get to our show. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Let's see. We are now on the Covenant of Works, Chapter 7. We made up a ton of ground in our last episode. So now we're we're kind of in the vicinity of School of Theology. Um, So I was wondering if you could start us off just by talking about covenant. What does that word even mean? Because we don't don't use that word modernly very much. Um, Perhaps not, though I'm sure lawyers come across the word covenant and deed True. Uh, a good bit. Right. Um, and and we speak of church covenants sometimes. Yeah. Um, but you're right. But but let's just go to the Bible. You know, so you're reading through the Bible and you're basically in the first 11 chapters of Genesis and suddenly in chapter 6 at verse 18 there's the word covenant. Mm. It's a covenant with Noah, and the tense of the verb that's used suggests, not the tense, but the actual verb itself that's used, suggests that this is ratifying an already existing covenant, Mm. meaning that a covenant had been established before, although the word doesn't appear. Right. And we'll come back to that later, and it's a reference to a covenant in the Garden of Eden. But, I mean, you keep on reading, and then in chapters 12, 15, 17, 15 and 17 especially, uh, you this word covenant pops up again, right. and it's with Abraham. And then uh, you you go into Exodus, and you'll see the word popping up again with, with Moses, and then you, you go to 2 Samuel 7, although the word doesn't occur, but... One of the Psalms refers to this passage and uses the word covenant. 
uh, and it's the covenant with David. And then you go to passages like Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 34 and 35, 36. Uh, and, and there's talk about a new covenant. Mm. Um, so a lot of covenants in the yeah. Bible. So the Bible in one sense is all, I mean, the story of the Bible is all about God establishing covenants, mm. successive covenants. And then, then you have to ask, how do these covenants all relate to each other and, and do they relate to each other? Mm. But, the, but you ask the question, what does covenant mean? And there's a sort of basic Definition, you and I learned Palmer Robertson's now often quoted definition that it's a bond in blood sovereignly administered. I think I can say that definition in my sleep. If someone woke me up at 3 a.m. and said, what is a covenant? That would be the definition. So this will be a test at the end of this this podcast. Can you can you give Palmer Robertson's definition of a covenant? A bond in blood sovereignly administered. Um, I th- I think that that's okay, but it's there's a simpler definition of a covenant uh, because not all covenants involve bloodshedding, mm-hmm. and we we could say a marriage is a covenant, right? Um, but it doesn't involve bloodshedding. It may it may end up in bloodshedding, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't doesn't essentially involve bloodshedding. Um, so a, a simpler definition uh, would be something like a bond with with promises and obligations. Mm. And I, I often use that to begin with, uh, that it's a bond, it's a fellowship, it's a commitment with promises and mm. obligations. Mm. And um, marriage would be an example of that. Mm. Mm. Um, Robertson, when he talks about uh, a bond in blood, but, but then there's the sovereignly administered piece, he seems to highlight... That there of the two parties, there's kind of a, a greater party, right? Uh, I mean, a marriage covenant is a mutually agreed covenant. At least in 2017, they are. Right. Uh, they're not. They're not brought about by other people. Um, it's it's usually two people who make a, an agreement, and, right. and there is mutuality yeah. uh, of inaugurating this relationship on both sides and. Right. There's some agreement as to what the terms of this marriage are. Right. Bible covenants are different. And Bible covenants are always initiated by God. It's not a, it's not a, a, a sort of bartering process. I'll do this, you do that. No, I don't like what this knockout, you know, numbers 17, 18, 19. I'm only agreeing to one, two, three. Right. No, this is God entering sovereignly mm-hmm. uh, in the initiation and administration of this covenant. Mm-hmm. Though the covenant that he enters into with mankind is conditional. Mm. Ooh, let's say, ouch. Yeah. Ooh, now we'll get some <laughs> feedback. No. Because aren't all God's covenants unconditional? And I would say absolutely not. There are always conditions. Mm. Um, we lost always... at least two of our four subscribers <laughs> right then. <laughs> well, I think every covenant that God enters into has conditions in the sense that there are obligations. And if you like the word condition, and that gives you kind of the heebie-jeebies, then use the word obligation. There are obligations that result from covenants. Hmm. 
And what would the obligations be here? To love him, serve him, commit yourself to him, mm. obey the law um, in terms of, of progressive sanctification. Mm. Um, those, would be, those would be the obligations. So uh, in the confession, uh, we start off by the distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do obedience unto him as their creator, which is part of what we were just saying, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension, let me try try that again. But by Josh some. Josh is having difficulty reading today. <laughs> it's a bad reading day. Mm. But by some voluntary condescension on God's part. What do they mean by some voluntary condescension? Yeah, it's kind of awkward language. And, and if I had my druthers, you know, I, I might use different language than voluntary condescension. But, but the essential point that's being made is that God is so big so vast, so infinite, that it is impossible for puny little man to have a bartering session. I mean, man couldn't even have a relationship with this God unless God initiated the relationship. Right. And I think I think it's a statement that, first of all, is highlighting just the sheer sovereignty of God. If you are tempted to think that a covenant is some kind of mutually agreed um, compact or mm. treaty mm. between you and God. You are compa- It's not just comparing apples and oranges. You are comparing things that have no comparison whatsoever. Mm. There is no comparison between God and man. So man in his creatureliness, mm. let alone issues of sin, but in his creatureliness couldn't have fellowship with God unless God initiated that fellowship. Mm. Mm. And the way he initiates that fellowship is by way of or the framework of a covenant. Yes. He condescends. He he lowers himself. Which is not talking derisively to somebody. Right. We use the word <laughs> condescension in a sort of negative way, but to con- he humbles himself. Mm. He makes himself as almost a little child mm. in order that he might speak to us and in order that we might understand. I mean, if God spoke in God's language, whatever that means, right. would we understand it? No. Yeah. So he speaks to us in Hebrew. Hmm. Unfortunately for you and me, in translated <laughs> into English right. Hebrew. Right. And if it wasn't translated, we would just get Dr. Davis to right. come in. Uh, okay, so the, the next section talks about the first covenant was the covenant of works. What is the covenant of works? Well, this is the covenant in the Garden of Eden. So Adam and Eve are placed in the Garden of Eden. They were given many stipulations about about what we sometimes call the cultural mandate and uh, of replenishing the earth, of, of propagating the species, of 
of exercising sovereignty and dominion over the universe of exploring, bringing it all into subjection, going where no man has gone before, <laughs> uh, and so on. Uh, but they were given one particular command, a prohibition, mm. not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There were mm. two trees. One was a sacrament, the tree of uh, life. And then there was this other tree, which is a test. Mm. And they were not to eat of this tree. And and so long as they complied with that prohibition, the inference, the text doesn't say so, the text is put in the negative, but the inference of the passage is, had they obeyed that prohibition, they would have been confirmed mm. in their status as children of God. Mm. And um, the essential calculus of the Garden of Eden is do this and you will live. Mm. So it's a works-based covenant. Mm. If you obey, if you comply with the law, mm. you will live. Mm. It was a covenant that they broke. Yeah. Uh, the temptation narrative, Satan, Eve, etc., etc. Now, where does one get the expression covenant of works from? And and the answer is it comes from Robert Rollock. Uh, there, there is some scholarly disagreement about what, I'm, what I've just said, but, but for now I'm going with the Scotsman, mm. Robert Rollock in the 1630s, who coins the, fr the phrase, a covenant of works. Mm. And it's a phrase that um, eventually finds its way into the language of the Westminster mm. Confession. So uh, Calvin then would not have been familiar with the no. phrase covenant of works. No. Okay. Hmm. Now it moves on from there to talk about a second covenant. And that second covenant being a covenant of grace. But that brings up a couple of questions for me. One... Does that mean that God had this original plan, this first covenant that he expected to work, and when it failed, he was somehow surprised and thought, okay, well, now we've got to come up with a backup plan, a secondary covenant of some sort. Um, and now that we've moved to this covenant of grace, are works no, and obedience no longer necessary? Well, that's like six questions. <laughs> But that's what I do. <laughs> um, okay, so you can caricature the way in which God manifests himself in space and time, and it often appears as though God has aha moments and, and that he repents and, and so on. And, and, and this, too, is part of that bigger picture of how how we understand God in himself and obviously we understand God and uh, not to be surprised by anything since he has infinite knowledge mm -hmm. um, so so whatever is happening in space and time is is accommodated language so that we can understand but right. God had predestined uh, from uh, before the foundation of the world, that he would save sinners through his son, Jesus Christ, the mediator. 
Um, so this is not to be viewed as as sort of Plan B, right? Because Plan A had failed. Mm. Um, this was always God's plan from the very beginning. So in Genesis three fifteen, which we sometimes call the proto evangelium, the the, the first proto evangelium, evangelium. See, evangelium, I, 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 evangelium, mm. yeah, evangelium. Uh, more is, coffee. That's what the stands for. I need more coffee. This was Luther's term for the first gospel. Mm. Um, and in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of Satan and he would bruise its heel, mm. the, the seed's heel. And ultimately, this is seen in Galatians, Paul says, as, as to seed as of one, not of many, and mm. difficult text but paul paul is making uh, a sort of grammatical point that the original promise in genesis three fifteen was in the singular mm-hmm. and referring to jesus although mm-hmm. there was the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is something that manifests itself throughout right. the old testament but right. ultimately um that seed is christ right now, I've forgotten the rest of the question. So the first question was, was there a difference in plan? No. The second question was, does that mean that works and obedience are no longer necessary in the covenant of grace? Well, you know, if you're asking, does God save us so that we can do as we like? The answer is obviously no. Right. You know, shall we sin that grace may abound? No. We are saved now by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians mm. 2. Um, but we are also saved unto good works, so that the evidence of our justification, the evidence of, of God's work of grace in us, is a life of total commitment to obedience to God's law. Mm. So yes, there are obligations that now... Um, follow the work of grace in our hearts. Mm. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstpreseColumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstpreseColumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstpreseColumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpreseColumbia.org. Or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A podcast or by phone 803-281-1795 803-281-1795 for dr thomas i'm josh squires we look forward to seeing you next week until then thanks for listening and god bless